Welcome back to the White Gray Black Weekly Manga Podcast. My name is Bruce, the producer of the White Gray Black YouTube channel. With me again this week is Gautam. What's up? This is a book club, but not for books. It's for manga. And what are we reading? Everything that's currently being published. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about uh, Monster Number 8 slash Kaiju 8, Chapter 85, The Ichinose Family's Deadly Sins, Chapter 22, Oshinoko, Chapter 116, and Sakamoto Days, also Chapter 116. Uh, normally, we would get started with the news, but there is no news this week. Uh, I literally could not find anything on Twitter to talk about. <laughs> yeah, this is a slow week this week. Yeah, well, and we're in a we're in a situation of the spring anime has started. We aren't close enough to the summer anime starting to get that kind of news. Uh, the new series in WSJ have been announced. Other new series have been announced. So it's a dead. It's just a little bit of a dead dead news time um there is stuff still going on just nothing really big enough to chat about so let's not dwell on it um let's just talk about manga this week and not worry about anything else okay cool uh i'll kick us off then um let's talk about kaiju number eight slash i actually think the english version still is letting it is calling it kaiju number eight i feel like they called it monster eight for a while and then changed it back uh, you know, Kaiju Eight is is just the better title. I, Kaiju I know Number like, Eight is way better. Yeah, there's like argument with Japanese and English titles, but I think everyone knows what a Kaiju is uh, at this yes. point. So I think for that reason, it's just a better title. Well, and it's like a Kaiju has that Japanese context to it, and a monster could be anything. Uh, even right. if the direct quote unquote translation is monster to Kaiju, then yeah, who who cares? Anyways, um. Let's kind of. St- it's been a while since we talked about this. I don't know if we've ever talked about it in a official capacity. Maybe once we used to really like this series, and it's not. It's been pretty mediocre, I would say, for the the latter half of the series. Would you uh, Would you agree with that? Honestly, maybe even more at this point. But yeah, I mm-hmm. completely agree. Yeah, I thought that Kaiju Eight started really strong with a cool. Uh, a cool premise of one, it has like an older protagonist, right? Who's not a high school student or a young 20 something, right? He's like, what is he? 32? Is he my age? Um, he's like 32. He like works on cleanup after the monsters. So you're like, Oh cool. And he's like really good at it. It's like, he knows about the internal, like the internals of monsters and how to clean them up, etc. Um, and I thought that was going to be a really cool angle. And it kind of was for like two chapters, uh, and then he gets, you know, he becomes possessed by Kaiju number eight. It's his superpower. And the first, I don't know, the first two or three arcs, maybe the first 20 or 30 chapters, I thought were really good. And then about since, um, what is it? There was like the, uh, there's like the attack on the base, I think that they had. It was like right around that arc where I was like, okay, this is just kind of a normal shonen now. So... Yeah, so it, it it is kind of normal. Like, well, I think one of the biggest issues, right, is it doesn't have a compelling antagonist, which which makes everything harder. Honestly, mm-hmm. it, any kind of driving force you incorporate into your story way harder if you don't have a compelling or interesting antagonist. And I think this was like stated by every reader who had who had been reading this manga. Uh, I. To clarify, I haven't read like the last five or six chapters. I was just really uninterested, so I never got around. Yeah, to it, which I mean is kind of I like passed it up today until I was kind of looking for what we we're gonna do on the podcast. But yeah, it's 
it has a lot of problems. I think I think it's run up against the same problem that uh, Horikoshi ran into with My Hero Academia, which is part of the story they kind of had really planned out and really well fleshed out and really um, organized in their mind. And then once they got po- past that part, they still had to publish a chapter every, in Kaiju 8's case, every two weeks. Um, but once you're kind of on the grind of drawing and creating and writing week to week, I, I think a lot of creative people's mind doesn't have the kind of the space, the freedom, the boredom maybe to kind of explore and think about what would be cool or what should happen next or whatever. Because it really feels like the start of Kaiju 8 is really strong. I think when the first season of the anime hits, it's going to be really good because that's easily the best part of the story. Um, and then after that, yeah, it's just kind of like, well, time to do trope stuff, right? Time to do, uh, you know, silent killer, black haired, not protagonist, but the commander guy or whatever, all that stuff is kind of generic. The main character is like one. He has barely appeared in, I want to say he has been in maybe like, less than half the chapters of the past year. So of the past 26 chapters, I think Kafka's shown up in like maybe four chapters. It's insane how little he shows up in this series. I guess what do you do when you have a main character and you have like a good first half of the storyline and then after that, every other character you have written in the story is more interesting and you you regret making this guy your main... Like I, I think the commander Narumi guy, he's instant like his first chapter he was already the most interesting character no he's pretty cool i really like the girl what's her name kikuru the the one we're showing right now that yeah like she's easily the best character in the story in my opinion um yeah the sort of main the secondary protagonist yeah yeah uh and it's kind of interesting like and you can see it right because um his his best bud uh kafka's best bud is also kind of he he has more screen time, sure, but he's also mm. more sidelined. Like the first two introduced characters are yes, more sidelined yeah. than everyone else, right? Yeah, uh, which is which is a weird thing because it's like, okay, is it maybe it's smarter to focus on the more interesting characters, but also it's kind of like, okay, but the start of it with Kafka was good, so I am like attached to that character. I do like that character, although he's kind of basically devolved into like a 14-year-old standard shonen protagonist instead of the kind of cool, older, mature, stuck-in-life type guy that he started the series as, who was like, I'm gonna, you know, still pursue my dreams, etc. That's kind of all lost now, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's just kind of a it's just kind of messy and generic and boring is how I would put it. Now it isn't necessarily bad. I still think the art and the action paneling is like re, is still really good in this series. I mean, um, especially it being every two weeks, uh, I still really like the art. Like I think the art's great. Um, but yeah, I mean, like this this final page here has uh, a really cool like face shot of i think this is narumi uh he's got yeah. kind of the he like pushes his hair back and it kind of changes his character design he looks cooler but and i i think narumi is an int- like he's probably my favorite character up to the point i read mm. but it is also just um the trope of hey let's put gojo in my manga too you know yes he's there's very much the um i mean gojo is the most current maybe the the most typical version of it of like 
I don't even know how to describe it. There's probably a real like literature term for this. There's just like the the one really powerful like the dude, right? It's uh, it isn't in every story, but it definitely is in um, a lot of stuff. Like I'm trying to think. And the reason I use Gojo as an example is because it kind of just fits this archetype of, like, pretty boy, nice eyes, yep. overpowered, but, like, on the sidelines when he's not fighting, he's kind of just a shithead mm-hmm, who's, mm-hmm. like, uh, petty and goofy, you know? Um, right, right, yeah. Like, uh, he he's kind of a Gojo clone, but it works because Gojo's an interesting character. Uh, yeah, it, I wanted to actually, like, I, I know we should be doing a chapter discussion right now, but I, I wanted to get your thoughts on this, right? Um on Kaiju 8. So the discourse is generally that, and you brought this up as well, uh, is that Kafka is is like 30, but he acts like a, like a kid. He acts like a 14-year-old, and it's right. weird seeing a character intentionally aged as an adult act like that. And in my brain, I think adults are allowed to act goofy and childish, but I think the reason this criticism is levied against Kafka is because adults don't usually act like that when it comes to serious situations or when it Mm -hmm. comes to moments of adversity, there is a difference in how a child or someone who's still growing would react and analyze and handle a situation versus how an adult would. And I think when put in a million of those situations, Kafka keeps like doing the kid thing of, I don't want to communicate. I'm going to keep this to myself. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, it's like a very stubborn Kind of, yeah. Uh, is is that what you would say is, or are is the criticism of him not acting like an adult? Because I would agree. I think it is a good. I think it is a criticism. I think more so than necessarily that the character is acting like that now is the fact that the character did not begin the story acting like that. I think that the true sin here is more one of regression than it is necessarily of having a childish main character i think it's i mean almost every shonen under the sun has a childish main character in one way or another i mean chainsaw man uh denji from chainsaw man luffy from one piece uh naruto the main character of bleach whose name i'm forgetting ichigo um all these characters are like childish in one way or another whether they're like adult or not um but and well and those, I, those are all children so we can justify the childishness and stuff also well i mean but it's okay i think to have an adult act in childish i mean luffy's like 20 right or 19 20 21 something like that now so not a child child but i think it's 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 a it's a worse i would say it's a worse sin the more disappointing part is that reading the first 20 or 25 chapters of Kaiju number eight, that's not the character Kafka is. Um, he's very much more of a, I got left behind by my old best friend, this girl who's now like the, you know, best killer in the army or whatever it is. Um, I now have like a chance to kind of be with her to keep the promise that we made to do all this stuff. He kind of has that motivation going for him. And then later on, he's just kind of like, I gotta get stronger. Like, he just gets the standard, like, his motivations completely swap from this kind of, not necessarily mature, but this, like, much more, uh, like, much more intricate, I, it, it is mature, right, of, like, I did not have a chance to, I did, like, did not fulfill the dream and promise I made to my childhood friend, now I have a chance to, but I'm, you know, I'm behind, I've kind of aged past when I should have signed up, or I 
wasn't able to succeed previously. Um, these are all like adult problems, right? Like I've, like I feel like I'm being left behind. I feel like I've aged past the situation where I could, you know, have a change of job or something like that, right? Those are those are adult issues that you know. Once you've had a job for ten years or been in a uh, situation, it's hard to change. Those are like adult issues. I um, mean, those are the things he faces at the start of the story, and then now in the past, I don't know, four or five arcs that he's been involved in, it's just like, oh, don't don't use Monster Eight too much because he'll take over your mind, or don't use your power because then the monsters know where we are. It's like just it is all just kind of devolved into very typical kind of shonen power scaling yeah what was that one more time everyone is babysitting him at this point in the story right right and so he just Um, kind of isn't dealing with this kind of adult problems that we were introduced with where he was a more interesting character i thought the writing was way better i mean i remember i picked this up around chapter 15 maybe i think you maybe picked it up a couple weeks before like a chapter eight or nine or something but um we've been with this up at chapter one I, i picked up at one I think I might have picked it up at one and then stopped because I remember binging like a, a decent chunk of it. I remember binging a good 10 or 12 chapters. Right? Maybe it was like eight or nine pretty early. But um, yeah, but anyways, like, yeah, we've been with it from the start. And I remember when this first came out, like a chapter would drop and we'd talk about it and be like, yeah, this is a cool like this is better than a lot of other stuff that was out early on. But and it was. And, uh, yeah. you know, it, on top of what you said. I also think, like, he made his all of his buds, who are, like, half his age, right? But mm. he, he made his, his buds and kind of helped them out by putting perspective into these, like, child geniuses uh, to not, like, rush in, have, like, crazy expectations for themselves to the point where they're breaking their own bodies or dying, you know? Right. And uh, after a while, it, they gained that perspective, and then he lost that perspective. And they have to be the ones who are, like, Hey, bud, just talk to us, man. I know you're going through shit. And he's like, I'm not yep. talk to anyone. Yeah, it's that- he, that's a good example for sure that he early on was very, uh, I'm, I hate to just use the word mature over and over again, but he was very sort of tempered and slower and more adult and, you know, mature about his decision making and rushing in because, yeah, that's kind of the the shonen protagonist's Achilles heel, right? Is I, I'm the strongest. I'll rush in without thinking about it to fight everyone. And then they get defeated and then they have to power up. And that's kind of like the shonen protagonist's journey, which is like, which Kafka was not like that early on. And then now in the last couple, you know, the last half of the story or so, that's just exactly who he's been. He's like, Oh, I have, I have to get stronger. I have to power of friendship, protect my friends. I will rush in. Yeah. It's, it's more disappointing to me. I mean, this is one of the reasons that I think I complain so much about my hero, about not liking it, you know, now or for the past four or four and a half years of publication is that my hero starts really strong and has some really cool stuff in the first, you know, 60, 70, 80 chapters. Um, and something that starts really strong and then drops off is like, it gives you the uh, sunk cost fallacy in manga extends for a long ass time i will tell you that because honestly my hero academia hasn't been good since hasn't been really really good since the like what is it the sports festival it hasn't been kind of good enough since the uh yakuza arc and it's been 200 chapters since those happened and i'm still reading it week to week um it it, it had one good mini arc but I would agree. It was like the gentle one because it took it a step yeah. back and slowed down its own pace. Um, yeah, but, yeah. 
that but that you're, was you're that was right, like yeah. three and a half three years ago that was immediately yeah. after the yakuza stuff by the way so yeah, yeah. anyway yeah. i i, I sidetracked us here but uh go ahead and tell us about uh this chapter of monster yeah this chapter is pretty interesting um this is kikaru fighting a monster that is just a copy of her for some reason which initially was kind of like okay yeah whatever the kind of shadow clone the shadow clone version is a very typical uh thing the end, the very last thing that she did last chapter is beat this girl in a fight. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, I remember Kikaru won her fight. What are we going to do this chapter? Um, this chapter, we're doing what I'm going to dub, we're, we're demon slaying this, right? Yeah. Uh, what that means, and this is, I complained about this endlessly when the first season of Demon Slayer dropped because it did it, I want to say with like almost every major bad guy in season one, is that... Uh, what's the main character's name in Demon Slayer? Tanjiro. Tanjiro. As soon as Tanjiro like starts to win, like literally not even starts to win. As soon as Tanjiro is like landing the killing blow with his sword on the bad guy, they would cut and do a flashback and give me character development for the bad guy when they are dead. Like they're, they're dead in the water. Tanjiro is winning. They did this with two or three bad guys and I hated it. I think it is one of the worst. I think it is for Shonen specifically, I actually think it might be the worst pacing decision I have seen. It's just, it's one of the worst pacing decisions you can make, right? Stopping your climactic fight where we were supposed to be, you know, we're building up, there's a fight, there's a fight. You get that that climactic release of the good guy is winning, the blade is going through the head, boom, it's going to be a, a celebration, you know, this elation, this joy, the this catharsis of... You know, of the climax happening of the, you know, the head being removed theoretically or or literally or symbolically or literally um, and you stop and you go and you do a flashback and that's just that just kills you are literally slamming the brakes of your story to go and flesh out a character who as soon as their head is cut off doesn't matter anymore like they they literally do not matter when they're gone. They are an obstacle for your main character to overcome. Your character has overcome it. They are literally in the in the middle of confirming their arc of overcoming their obstacle, and you have slammed the brakes on your story. You are flashing back to the some other thing to, again, a character who, because the main character has overcome them, they do not matter anymore. I just, I hate it. It is one of those things that just just grinds me up inside how much i hated it because i really everyone was raving about demon slayer they're like it's so good the animation is so great and i liked it well enough before it did that with the sort of in the latter maybe six episodes um with like the spider guy and the tree dude i think they did it with and maybe one other person um yeah it's just just yeah, they do that with. Did they do that with every villain in that series? And and um, you told me that, and that's why I never have gone back to explore Demon Slayer. Is that I think a writer who just continually does that. If they did it once, right, it's sort of like, oh, okay, sure, they made one mistake, whatever. But doing that with every single thing is like that is a pattern of writing that I cannot stomach, and I will not force myself to read. Anyways, this chapter of Guide Your Number Eight does exactly that, and I hated it. Even though, well, and and the sad thing is. All that being said, it's like the flashback is is pretty good and interesting and cool, and it really fleshes out the monsters as being these kind of um, 
intelligent, uh, kind of sympathetic beings that you know, are a reflection of humanity. They kind of have the same kinds of wants and stuff. All that's really interesting. The problem is you're doing it. I mean, I don't know if you can see on this page in the bottom right hand corner, that is literally the bad guy's head falling like as, yeah. as the flashback starts. Like this is exactly what I was. This is demon slaying the story, right? You are slamming on the brakes. This whole chapter should have been the celebration right of of she overcame she can go help the other people you know how are the other fights doing let's swap to the others whatever and we get a little bit of that at the very end but um yeah i just man if if you're a writer and you're listening my advice to you is that if you're do not do not one there, there's a couple of things here one do not slam on the brakes once you start your your climax fight right once that gets going you see it through to the end without, I would say without uh, switching focus even, because I think it takes a lot of practice to do something like Oda does in One Piece and sort of switch switch focus. But even Oda is pretty good about when it's time for a climactic fight to sort of like play out, and especially through the end, that's kind of the whole chapter. Um, it happens with, you know, Luffy versus Kaido. It happened with... Um, Big Mom versus the Supernovas in Wano. It happened with Sanji and uh, Sanji versus Queen. And uh, anyways, just for some recent examples from from One Piece, from a from a good writer. Uh, yeah, just don't. Once you're doing your climactic fight, don't swap. You know, keep the camera focused on the character. The part that I want to see, and I think the part that a lot of people are really interested in here, is we want to watch our character overcome, you know, overcome the obstacle in front of them, and we want it to be, we don't want that to be interrupted, um, just from a story pacing perspective. The other thing is, flesh your bad guy out before the fight even starts, yep, because that literally, that literally makes you invested in the fight the second it starts. Um, it's just as simple as that. Don't cut away once you've started the, your big action. You're, you, you know, can you, I'm trying to think of like a, can you imagine if, uh, do you ever watch Ninja Warrior? The like, yeah. <laughs> can you imagine if it was like the final, uh, you know, the final thing is like the little slanted wall that they have to like run up. Um, can you imagine like watching someone do a whole full Ninja Warrior course and then just not showing them run up the very last part? And then just cutting to them right as they hit the button. And you're like, even if you know that they made it up, you're like, you have literally cut out the kind of final hurdle, the final obstacle set up in a story. Um, it's just garbage. So anyways, writing advice from from me. Once you start your climax, see it through to the end. Don't cut away. Um, and always try to flesh out your antagonist or wh whoever is the second party in the fight that's not your main character or not your the the person we know less flesh them out before the fight even starts if we know what both the characters are bringing into the fight if we know what stakes they have before the fight starts that that makes the fight better that makes us more invested in the fight um if i had seen this flashback before this fight started if we had known all this information um i, I think i think i would be here in front of you talking about this chapter and this this last arc in like a much more positive tone. I think it would have been really good to be like, yeah, Kikaru had this, this stuff with her dad. And then it turns out that the, 
uh, the monster that she fought also has the kind of daddy issue thing going on. Um, and they fleshed out beforehand. And when they met, they were both bringing the same kind of, I need to impress my dad energy into it. And so we knew that the winner was going to be the one who, uh, came away with that regard from their father figure. Um, but instead, literally the, the bad girl's head rolls before we learn any of this information. And so it doesn't, it just doesn't work at all. Um, so yeah, I, Sorry, monster. Sorry, Kaiju Eight. It's this is not good. I don't like this. You you demon slayered it, and I'm not happy about it. So, yeah, not that that that's unfortunate. I, I wonder how the series is doing sales wise. It um, still does pretty good, from what I understand. Um, it is still ranked. I think it is still in the top ten on Manga Plus. Uh, Manga Plus has like the by views. I mean, because I was checking today, and I was like, oh, like, like Sakamoto Days is like 14 without an anime, and like that's really good. Kaiju 8 is... Oh, maybe not. Uh, Kaiju 8 is 13. So, uh, for comparison, like, Dandadand is at 11, Spy Family at 9, Oshinoko yeah, at 6. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's still definitely pretty pretty high up there. So, yeah, that's... So, I did my tangent. I did my, you know, take a steaming dump on, on Kaiju 8. It's not that bad. The art is still good. It's still fun. I, I, I again, think that if the first season of the anime because i think this got a good studio right this got bones or somebody behind it bones or madhouse is doing kaiju 8 um although the the preliminary character design pictures we saw were not great so who knows i think they'll be fine i think people I are, are I, just judging based off of things that are, aren't in motion yet i agree for sure um but, but any other yeah. yeah i've i've said my piece on kaiju 8 uh anything else you want to talk about or know about it here uh, no, I was just going to mention that the incredibly on point, even more than the climactic moment, are the stakes of the battle. Otherwise, they're just an unknown versus your main character, right? And you, you yeah. know the outcome, the stakes are less. Uh, I, I, especially, like, even Demon Slayer, they have they have cool backstories. It's just they do yep. when it doesn't matter anymore, right? Or And yeah, and I, again, like I said, I thought this was a good, well-written, and like, this is a sort of perfect foil to Kikaru in this situation. Um they have kind of the same stakes going into the fight. The problem is we only learned about the the bad the monster's stakes after she was dead. And it's I mean, I do also remember the uh in Demon Slayer, the spider guy, which is like the big that's the big fiery slash that you saw that's one of the best animated things on in the TV anime I've ever seen because uh Ufotable's great. Um but that's a good backstory too. I mean, that guy got like abused and abandoned and passed around. It's like, and yes, like that's a good, well-told backstory. It the problem is it loses all significance when it is put as the bad guy's head is being removed. Um, so yeah, yeah, I agree. Cool. Uh, well, why don't you tell me what you're bringing this week? This is one we've talked about a decent amount, sure. but also has kind of is this this might be our week to just shit on the manga. <laughs> Because yeah, I was going to say, I, I didn't realize this would be our, our bitching episode, but here we are. It's not. Um, I, I promise the last two things we're going to talk about are on a much more positive note, so. Uh, yeah, sure. Maybe. Uh, uh, no, so I, what I realized first is that on slow weeks like this, I just realized how much better the One Piece chapter is than anything else that comes out. And yeah. we talk about One Piece too much, so I'm not, I'm not going to go into it, but. If you want to read something good, go read the new One Piece chapter. It's fucking awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, yeah. I, I should set up an automatic tweet to just tweet at like 
10.01 Sunday morning every morning to just be that, the picture from Parasite that's just like, uh, One Piece is crazy good this week. It's crazy good. Yeah. Is that from Parasite? Yeah, right that there. is from, I believe that is from Parasite, the anime, yeah. Oh, got it. I think, huh. I'm, I'm pretty sure, yeah. Which is a very right. good series. I just never put it together. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Parasite's great. Anyways, tell me about, uh, this is the Ichinosi family's Deadly Sins, chapter... Chapter 22. 22. Yeah, I was yeah. like, couldn't so uh this wasn't great and it's not because the content's not great i i think it's emotionally resonant um so in this chapter this is following a chapter last chapter where they are trying to get their memories back of course like always um and they go to like kind of a landmark landmark spot that they all remember and the grandma of the family pushes subasa our main character here off a cliff and then he wakes up in the hospital and in this chapter and he's freaking out and he won't tell anyone anything because his grandma just killed him. Uh, and this is where we're going with it. Um, at the moment, the series is, the issue is not that it's not interesting. It is very interesting. It is, it has emotionally resonant beats that aren't emotionally resonant for the reason I'll mention in a second. It's a mile a fucking minute. There, there's a twist every single chapter to the point yep. where we're not even getting character stuff that much anymore. It's more yeah. so, what is the next twist that's going to happen? Because in the last, like, five chapters, they're like, oh, you're stuck in a time loop. Oh, you're not stuck in a time loop. This is some sci-fi bullshit that's going on. It's not sci-fi bullshit. Your grandma has Alzheimer's. and It's like... It's like you have growing. Alzheimer's. Grand maybe grandpa has Alzheimer's. Somebody has Alzheimer's in the family. We don't know who. That's the it, new mystery. <laughs> it is throwing everything at the wall. And... I, I, I feel like a, like baby's first sensory overload video where I, I'm just like, I'm absorbing too many twists at the moment that I mm -hmm. can't feel anything anymore for this, this situation. It's like too much. Yeah, uh, I, I would say in the yeah. sort of, I, the sort of five-pronged uh, manga review thing that I use, characters and plot are two of the big ones. I, I agree with what you're saying. This series has essentially abandoned the character stuff that it had done early on and is full on just plot. Um, just, it kind of tries to, I don't want to say keep characters. It kind of tries to, uh, tries to make the character moments be impactful, but because they've kind of abandoned uh, all that character development in favor of, like you were saying, just, twist after twist after twist that changes up kind of the status quo it's exhausting to read yeah. it's kind of exhausting to go through and be like because the first time where it was like oh the dad wrecked the car on purpose and he wakes up with a new dad that's kind of like oh interesting cool and they wake up and they aren't all dead interesting what's happening here and then we have the mom's arc and then after that it's like oh the new dad knows what's going on twist and then it's like uh oh you're still you're in a coma the lead character's in a coma twist and then yeah we got this like alzheimer's stuff uh we got yeah, we have a murder plot and this is moving past yeah the murder the plot stuff is like the sister stuff that doesn't matter the grandpa or the grandma pushed him off the cliff at the end that's another twist and this is like in the span of like two months like six or seven chapters this is all this we, shit happened we are 22 chapters in that is not a lot for yeah. the amount of shit that happened. And of course, yeah, I mean, now it's easily like a third of it has just been this twisty stuff. Because, I mean, you can go back and listen to, I think we recorded when this hit chapter one. I don't, 
maybe the first, maybe our first episode is like chapter one of, uh, of Ichinosi Family Deadly Sins. So we're really high on this for a cup for a lot of weeks. We would bring it up and it's, it's really good. Uh, yeah, it, again, I don't think it's bad. This is not as bad as Kaiju 8 where it kind of is like just, you know, garbage writing. Like it's still good writing. It's just kind of writing around a plot and these twists rather than the character stuff, which is where I really think Taizen 5 is, does better work. So this feels like it's written by Hideo Kojima with no editor, you know, like yeah. an ideas guy made this with 80 good ideas, but you can't throw them all in the same work. Yeah. And it's, it's, it, that's how it feels at the moment. Who it's like M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. M. Night yeah. Shyamalan sat down with, with Hideo Kojima and Tizen five. And they just, the they like team. chatted for two hours and Tizen was like, I can write that. And this went and did it. <laughs> And and, it, and at the end, it's going to be nano machines. That's the main main twist. Uh, yeah, I uh, see you not nano machines could show up. I I still. I, I, I mean, when we talked about this weeks ago, I'm still betting there's some kind of sci like hyper advanced sci fi or alien or magic like that because the um, what's it Takapi's what's it called takapi's original sin original sin i was like deadly yeah. sins yeah takapi's original sin um also had that angle of sort of space magic space technology stuff i'm assuming we're still going to get something here the problem now is that even if the next chapter they tell us if the next chapter they give us aliens or something like that it's gonna feel garbage it's gonna feel like dog shit because you've had all these other twists before it um the story really needs time to breathe so speaking of i told you don't you know, if if giving riding advice, don't slam on the brakes during your climax. At the same time, do use your brakes before you use your brakes and slow the story down when you have time to and when you need to let a story breathe and expand. And yeah, this one is just moving too fast for me. And again, it's not is, bad. And yeah, so, the problem is speculation is just not fun anymore because uh, mm -hmm. the author is clearly trying to throw you off the trail which it, which right. works sometimes but like i i feel like in, in any good story uh you like to speculate what happens next based on the world building but since there are so many different trails to follow like eight or ten different trails to follow and we get subverted every every chapter i was gonna say every other but that's not true it's every chapter it's every chapter uh there there's no point in trying to figure things out anymore because you know you won't get there and yeah did you by, by so, logical means of storytelling you won't get there so i, I don't know it's less fun. did you ever watch westworld uh, uh yeah i got well kind of i got like eight episodes in or something okay because like, this is this is the this is the westworld season two effect <laughs> there's a better name for it um Westworld season one, everyone kind of figured out all the twists, but it was still a really good season of television. And one of the reasons it was good is that they planted enough foreshadowing and hints and wrote around the twists um, in such a way that they were predictable to those who were paying attention, but satisfying. In season two of Westworld, and those are the only two seasons I've seen, um, in season two of Westworld, they specifically went around writing that season to not let people guess what was going to twist what was going to happen next they did not want you to be able to predict the ending um and it feels kind of similar to this right where it's like okay 
if you've sort of planted seeds and hinted at one thing and then thrown it off in one way and then thrown it off in another way and then misdirected again, it stops being sad. It's exactly like you said. You want to stop predicting what's coming next because it's not satisfying anymore because the story has just the story has not given you any foreshadowing or setup for I mean, there was there was. I would say no foreshadowing for the grandma pushing him off the cliff. There was maybe a little bit of foreshadowing for him being in a coma. There was foreshadowing for the new dad kind of knowing what was going on. Um, But like, yeah, like half of the last of the, like two of the last four things were just kind of twists out of nowhere. Um, Yeah. There was, and I think George R. R. Martin also said something similar where he said, yeah, everybody uh, like somebody has guessed every part of, Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Um, this is before the final season. Uh, everyone has guessed everything that's going to come. And the thing is, don't change anything because yeah. your audience isn't aren't these people online who are who can guess everything you do. Your audience probably isn't nearly as online. They they just love your books, and ninety nine percent of the people reading it won't see it coming. Yep, I will say. So, yeah. Pre- yeah, predictability is not inherently bad unless the rest of the story around it is not is not high quality enough. Um, I'm trying to think for for instance, like uh, did we see Top Gun Maverick? Or did I, see, I saw that with my mom. I want to say, or did we go see that? Yeah, we saw that. We saw that. Okay, that movie's hella predictable. You could call. I mean, there was like a cup. Not even twist. There weren't twists. There were a couple of like surprises. Maybe they executed part of it. But man, I could have told you beat for beat how that movie was going to go, and that movie still rocked because it was well executed. This, you know, the the heart, the character was there. The story, the plot was interesting. Who cares if it's predictable? That like, yeah, of course. Spoilers: Tom Cruise doesn't die in that movie. Of course, he doesn't die in that movie. He's going to make it out. They, you know, crashes behind enemy lines or whatever. And of course, he you know, makes it out some way. Um, that's okay. Predictability is okay. If your fundamentals of writing, if your characters are interesting, um, people also like, people like to guess and be right. Like that's a satisfying thing in a story also like making predictions. I mean, we do it tons on the podcast, right? We make predictions over all kinds of stuff that we're reading. Um, and when we're proved right in a couple of days or weeks or whatever, that feels good. It's not, it doesn't feel better to have something, some Deus Ex Machina out of left field come and surprise you. Um, you've already surprised a lot of people who don't care to guess about what's going to happen, who are just along for the ride. So, yeah. So, more writing advice. Be careful about writing to those people who really like predicting and are really smart and are really tuned into the foreshadowing you're writing. That's okay. It's okay if a story is predictable, if the, if the bones around it are still solid. And plus, those people care about your work like so passionately for a reason, yeah. right? E- even if they can guess it, they they still love it enough to do the work, you know. So, exactly. I, exactly. Yeah, I, uh I think a predictable uh sorry, an unpredictable series um and we talk about this one all the time is Chainsaw Man, and I think mm-hmm. it does it right. I can't predict Chainsaw Man. I don't think most people can. Uh, but but, cha- it, but that is also Sorry, go on. It's it's also set up properly, right? It's right. Just, yeah. It's just one of these. I think Fujimoto just doesn't think on the same wavelength as normal human beings, and is so unique in how he writes that uh, it's just very hard to predict. And I love that. But right. I think uh, Tyson Five is kind of doing the opposite here and just throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping 
one of these is will be enough to subvert like the diehards who are trying to overanalyze their yeah. work. But, or maybe uh, I mean it's it's yeah. possible that all of these twists somehow converge into a single moment or something that makes them all make sense. I can I can see that happening, right? If this is some kind of uh I mean I again I'm not gonna I'm not gonna guess because I it's you're right, it's just not fun anymore. But yeah, I mean it's it's not totally lost because again, this has only been the last five or six chapters of 22 chapters. Um, uh-huh. The rest of it's been really good. So not the end of the world yet. Uh, yeah. And in, in, in Fujimoto's case, just wanted to address that. You are right that he, he is, he has never told a typical story. And so when things don't go the way you're expecting, that is the way that is what you, I was expecting to be surprised. I was expecting the unexpected. And so in a way, Fujimoto does write in a very expected and predictable way. The way he writes is unexpected and unpredictable. And we know that and you predict that. And that's kind of why it is satisfying to read because it's always like that. Whereas here in, in Ichinosi family, um, the start of it was kind of, was pretty straightforward. And then after that, it's kind of changed. But I, I think that it's in Chainsaw Man, it's a little bit different. So yeah, I, I I would agree. He, uh, Fujimoto is anything but conventional. Seeing conventional writing out of him would actually be jarring. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I hate I, to. I, I don't. Hey, go sorry, ahead. go ahead. I was going to say I I hate to go too deep into Fujimoto and Chainsaw Man, but the other thing is that if you kind of remove how you get there, Fujimoto does write a pretty typical story. Um, if you just wanted to talk about the complete kind of season one of the manga. Um, most of the story beats are not predictable necessarily, but typical, even if kind of the way you get there. I mean, thinking of like, they get trapped in, you know, they get trapped with the Infinity Devil. And how do they get out? Well, Chainsaw Man fights the Infinity Devil and wins. Now, the way that that happens is wild. And, you know, you couldn't have really guessed exactly how it happened. But if you kind of boil it down to the beats of the story, it is kind of it is kind of normal. Um, that's kind of why I think Fujimoto stuff works. I mean, even looking uh, at the latter half, I won't spoil it because that's not we're not talking about it. But um, even just looking at the latter half stuff, uh, those things that happen are surprising but inevitable, which is a which is words that I've used I think in the past to describe um, kind of a, a good twist should be surprising but inevitable. Uh, but Fujimoto is more about being kind of wild and different in the way that you get there while the story being told is kind of typical is not the right word, but it has, it has some very standard story beats of, of, you know, betrayal by a mentor and, you know, the, the main character fighting against that and, and loss of friends and those kinds of things are all just kind of typical story beats um, at the end of the day, or at least, standard regular story beats but the way that fujimoto goes around the way he tells them and the style of them and the way they're sort of overcome that's kind of where he's a little bit different so his his actual story i would say isn't that different than a normal story it's just kind of all the little building blocks he's using to make it he's built a normal house out of strange pieces so i i think it's impossible to write a manga without the same broad strokes normal story structure uh i don't think it's you can get anything into the mainstream without having a structured story in, yep. in a given way. I think it's the middle parts are where you get to be creative. Uh, 
and I think Fujimoto is very, very fucking creative in those middle parts. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's the same. There's some... I think it's a screenwriter or somebody who... And I'm going to... I'm already going to misquote this. And I've already written it. He says there's like... There's only really... It's like three stories or four stories. Like there's only ever really like boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back, boy wants thing, or like boy goes on a quest, right? There's only really a couple of like sort of base boiled down stories to tell. Um, And if you can tell that story with like I was talking about sort of like more interesting building blocks, that's still good. Um, So yeah. Anyway, let's let's uh let's sorry we 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 <laughs> went so far down the side street there. Uh, it, 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 let's wrap up Ichinose twenty two because I I think I mainly wanted to talk about what we talked about right here. The chapter mm-hmm. itself uh is basically the grandma might not have Alzheimer's. It is likely the grandpa. Well, it is definitely the grandpa who has Alzheimer's. I think that's. Emotionally resonant, mainly because I had family members that have had Alzheimer's, and it's mm-hmm. fucking sucks. Uh, but I don't know if, for the mainstream audience, if this is emotionally resonant or if it's just uh, for me. You know, I, I feel like this. If if it wasn't me who has experienced this before, I think for a normal audience, this would just be another twist on top of another twist. You know, I, I don't yeah. Know. Well, and I can be the other side of that to you because I do. I my great grandpa who died when he was like ninety seven or something, like twenty years ago. He I think had Alzheimer's for the last couple of years. But I do. I was like eight or nine when he died. Um, but I do, none of my close family members, grandma, grandpas, anyone that I've known in the last uh, more recent history has ever had Alzheimer's. So I, I don't have that connection. And that you are correct. That is the way it felt to me. This just kind of was, oh, it's just kind of another twist. Does it matter if it's the grandpa instead of the grandma that has Alzheimer's? No, that's kind of a weird misdirect that didn't need to kind of be flip-flopped on. Um, and it does still work. I mean, it is still sad. I'm not... It, I'm not I'm not that emotionally disconnected that I don't understand the sadness of Alzheimer's and those kinds of things. But yeah, because I don't kind of have the personal investment, it is just kind of, I was going to mention, it's kind of like, okay, it's, you know, one grandparent having Alzheimer's versus another doesn't really change anything. And the fact that there's like a misdirect that it's the grandma, but then it's the grandpa. It's like, why do that? Why does it matter? Alzheimer's is bad and sad. You don't need to play with my feelings over, is it grandpa or grandpa that has it? Like, uh, because it, yeah, it's like we don't care about the grandparents or really any of the characters yet. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter which one has Alzheimer's. It it, it just it feels like it, it it ties in five thought we cared about the family more than we actually do at the moment. Yeah, but we're well, too inundated I- with the plot that none of the characters have breathed, you know? Yeah. And, and I do think that we know, I do think that I'm, I'm more connected to the grandpa. So in that way it does work, I think, but I think that it doesn't, it doesn't work as well because I'm not as well connected to the grandma. And so that's kind of where if, you know, if both characters were equally developed, it would have hit better. You're absolutely right. They, they needed to spend a bit more time on both grandma and grandpa, but I think especially on grandma. Yeah, for me, Grandma is just someone who tried to murder their grandchild. That's all I really know about her. You know? Yeah, so she like, has not done much else other than that. So, like her plight, I I don't. 
it does not read like I, I get it she wants her husband to not have alzheimer's or to like be in this reality where they can remember the fantasy it. reality he doesn't have it maybe yeah. so yeah but either way i it just doesn't feel earned yet so i i i still felt the sadness mainly because uh, i it relates to me personally but i think if i like uh, spiriting away from my own body into that of the general audience I just don't know if it, I don't think it mm-hmm. works like you said. Um, yeah. Anyway, that that's my thought on Ichinose. I would love to see see it come back in a big way. Yeah. I, I think it has the bones. I think everything is there for it to work. But I think it's also important at this kind of midpoint of the series, or at least what it feels like, uh, that we talk about what we don't like about it. Yeah. This. Yeah. I mean, in this, I'll title this episode. You'll see it go up. Is like. We let's just shit on manga for like an hour, and then the next two things I think are a little bit better. But uh, yeah, I do. I'm trying to think about Takopi about Taizen Five's last thing because I do remember the middle chapters being not as good. The part that really sold me on Takopi was the ending. So I do think that if this is just a um, a slightly down, you know, arc, couple of chapters, this is not past you know a moment of return of i'm gonna drop this series again because there's the the uh investment thing which i'm gonna call it that we were talking about uh yeah i'm invested the start of the story is really good i i want to i do want to know what's going on i want the plot to kind of solidify instead of being this kind of globular liquid mess that flows around everywhere so i mean i'm 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 still gonna stick with it i think you are too um yeah, it's just yeah. I, I just kind of in a in a little bit of a weird down space. So, can you title this? Um, we don't care about Alzheimer's. Yeah, I'll, I'll maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, 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 don't, don't, don't. I'll write it yeah. down, but um, we don't care about Alzheimer's. Yeah, oh, man. Man. Alzheimer's in manga is bad writing. The the episode. <laughs> oh no. Uh, okay, cool. Anything else about the Ichinose family's deadly sins? Nah, I, I, I just kind of wanted to have a discussion on what you thought about the spaghetti on the wall. Um, yeah, I, and it's, yeah, we talked about it. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's chat about something that I think's been really good recently, and everyone's talking about the uh, anime, so let's talk about Oshinoko by Aka Akasaka and Mango Yokoyari is the artist. This is chapter, what do we say, 116? Um, I have a chapter behind uh, but yes. Okay. Well, well, I'll 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 give you the 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 skinny yeah. on it real quick. Uh, this is the three girls. Oh gosh, and I'm gonna forget their names. It's Ruby and uh, mm, Akane. Yes, and then the other movie star girl, and they are essentially they kind of have set up a competition to see who's going to get the role of Ai Hoshino in the movie. Uh, they kind of figure that out in, I, I mean, it was last uh, chapter, maybe it was this chapter, but they kind of go through, they kind of go through the process of auditioning, although the sort of big onus here is that uh, Ruby steps up to the plate, right? Ruby is clearly the least, the least acting experienced, and if you really had an, an acting competition here. Um, she wouldn't win, but she kind of says, hey, this is my mom, this is my brother who is spearheading this, um, and you can see on this page here, hopefully, uh, she says, like, it's my responsibility. It's, it's like, it irritates me to go along with Aqua's idea. 
I didn't even care if I lost this audition till a while ago, but now it's different. Um, I won't give up until I win. Blah blah blah. She's she's gonna play her mom because she's the only one who understands the the loss of the loss of her mother um, and all that stuff. So uh, I, this is really interesting. I I mean I I don't think Oshinoko Oshinoko has had one little kind of part and I was like man I don't like this very much or as much but it was like two chapters long um and it's back on track uh the anime is killing it uh what have how have you felt about this arc in general this sort of um aqua setting up the uh Ai Hoshino movie and these three girls getting together to audition and uh the in, the really interesting part at the very end is uh aqua's ex-girlfriend who used to say oh i'll help you do anything i'll help you kill the guy who killed your mom yeah she's like now she's like i'm gonna stop you um and oh akane that's her name akane kurakawa and he has this there's this cool panel this is the last page of the chapter but if like if you think you can stop me go ahead and try like it's clear that uh aqua has is been breaking bad for a while now but he's continues to break bad which is interesting and fun to watch i think so uh yeah how have you felt about oshinoko Aqua has been uh, season two host Breaking Bad Walter since since he got reincarnated uh, since uh, his mom died uh, yeah. his second mom died. This panel uh, has big "I am the one who knocks" energy, yeah. or like I for sure it does. He's just like if you think you can stop me from killing, like murdering this dude, go ahead and try, or from emotionally manipulating literally everyone with this movie. Uh, yeah. I- I, I think the Edgelord twins are, are completely spiraling, of course, uh, mm-hmm. as they have been. Um, I, I feel like the story is going to be around uh, about the people who they helped along the way, kind of checking them in a way. You know what I mean? Because I, I don't think this is going to be a revenge tale as we know. You don't uh, think so? I, no, I, I don't think so at all. Because I... I, I and I think that's because of the beginning interviews at the beginning of the series, yeah, where everyone is kind of doing a post mortem, uh, not not for not for IE, but like uh, just in general for the re- for the release on. of this movie that came out, I believe is what they're doing a post mortem for, uh, right? And so we're yeah getting closer to looping back around to those to those interviews. Yeah, so I I don't think the edgy duo here uh, will get their way in. in in how they expect to, you know, I, I think, uh, I think the, uh, I think the ultimate conclusion of this story is them living healthier lives. I f- agree with you exactly 50%. And okay, I will tell you why I, I don't think Aqua makes it out the other side as I, I don't think he makes it out the other side. Not necessarily that he dies. Um, I think that Aqua is willing to sacrifice himself for his goals. I think eventually he will reach a moment where he will make that sacrifice for Ruby. Um, I don't know. I don't see both of them coming out the other side. I think that I think that one of the things that Aka uh, that Aka Akasaka has really tried to go into and uncover is sort of the way that entertainment and the idol industry and the movie industry and this sort of entertainment uh conglomerate machine absolutely does not let people escape it without chewing them up and spitting them out right um and i think that and i think that one side of that 
One side of that is from the fan consumer side, and I think that's reflected in the uh, person who kills uh, Ai Hoshino early on. And I think the other side of that is from the performer uh, internal internal side, right? That actors, especially child actors, especially new actors, idols, those types of things. Um, I, I don't think Akka wants to tell a story where the entertainment industry is left without blood on its hands. And I think that if you let both Ruby and Aqua sort of quote unquote get away with with not being chewed up and spit out in some way or not kind of having blood on their hands or being um, kind of part of the sacrifice to this machine of entertainment. Um, I don't think the story works if you let both of them get away. I think you I, either... I don't agree with that. that and, I mean, uh, that's that's totally fine. Because, I, I, because, yeah. because the blood is already there, i.e., i.e., you know? Uh, mm-hmm. So, I and and here's another reason why I said, uh, why I think they come out clean um i think this is a scathing review of the entertainment industry and accurate yeah review absolutely of the absolutely industry. yeah but it's still kind of like a little sci-fi narrative in the first place and i think uh it comes down to the character of aqua who he was before he was aqua and who he how he acts as aqua he is the most self-loathing character he, i don't think he there's a single moment in the series where he gave a shit about himself uh he is only yeah, giving a shit about other people um and I, I think this the story is going to be about kind of raising the raising the old self esteem a little bit, you know? Cause yeah, I could see hurting that. himself is hurting other people, you know. I I, I think do, it's going to be yeah. that that kind of route. I yeah, I, I agree with I agree with basically everything you've said, but I I think I'm taking the the more negative the side darker, that darker yeah, side, yeah because i think that well i agree with you that aqua has has been kind of selfless i think that that selflessness i think that's i think that that selflessness from his perspective he thinks that he'll give up himself in a selfless act to get revenge for his mother right and so I think that he thinks he's acting self selflessly when he is actually acting selfishly. So I can well, definitely yeah, see it. I can definitely see it going where um, where he's sort of corrected in that by the end. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, I I definitely agree with you. I just think um, I, I do want to clarify one point on that is it, it's not just selfless; it's self loathing one hundred percent. He actively hates himself. Uh, right. Like all, yeah. of his, all of his panic attacks are. How for like are, uh, what is it when you don't feel like you're worth anything, um, but you're given stuff? Uh, like your self-esteem? Syndrome. Oh, like imposter a, syndrome. Like yeah, imposter, yeah. Imposter syndrome. Yeah, he has it. Well, I mean, a dude yeah. literally reborn into a, you know, a superstar's child. This might be the only time that imposter syndrome is is correct is like kind of justified and correct yeah i think usually imposter imposter, yeah yeah, i mean he literally kind of is right him him i think more than ruby because ruby was like a young girl when she died um and she's just kind of getting a second chance to do what she would have wanted to do if she had a real life but um aqua's original person was like what 35 40 something like that so yeah, yeah i don't know i i'm curious to see because it definitely could go either way i could definitely see it going uh, going like you said, where they kind of both uh, both make it out. I can also see it. I can also see it ending, kind of like Breaking Bad ends, right? Where it's like 
I, I, I'm trying to not spoil Breaking Bad. Everybody's seen Breaking Bad, right? Um, I, where I, I, I get what you mean. I just I where well, everything kind of goes it, yeah. wrong. Yeah, everything kind of goes wrong, and then and then the sort of broken bad character comes back to kind of make a sacrifice and make things as right as he can in the end. Um, I could see something like that happening too, uh, even if it doesn't require the same sort of sacrifice that that the end of Breaking Bad requires. Um, I'm really curious. I mean. Like we were talking about, the fact that we are speculating about the end here is testament to the writing and how interesting and how uh, good and spaced out the sort of twists and reveals have been. Because um, this is excellent, and I am definitely... I mean, I'm in 100%. Oceanoko is great. I think we're going to have a lot of new fans. Um, hopefully hopefully, some of you spend some time to uh, read the story and catch up, because it is... I mean, Aka Akasaka is one of the greatest modern manga writers, for sure. Just his... His command of both humor and drama. Uh, you haven't read it, but this uh, da, 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 da. this page right here is just hilarious. Yeah. In the middle of this like massive drama, where it's just like, oh, this is really awkward. Um, yeah, and the the Aka Kasaka's big mastery, in my opinion, is this balance of comedy and drama. Uh, I, I like how she's shaking in the bottom panel out of awkwardness. Yeah, it's she's just like, like shivering. Oh, that's funny. It's great. Um, Cool. Anything else about Oshinoko here? Uh, no, I, I I think this like just to tie it back into considering we're talking about like writing sins and whatnot. Um, I I think what Aka does is he he establishes characters and writes characters in specific ways so well that um instead of like kind of a logical conclusion we can approach if we're thinking about something like Ichinose Family, it adds an extra layer of complexity that. That makes us guess, you know, because everyone is mm -hmm. erratic, because everyone is emotional, human yeah. beings in general, right? Especially in this industry, so you don't know how things will go at all, because it's all up to how decisions are made by people in the series. So, um, yeah, it's a very—you're absolutely right. It's a very humanist, isn't the right word, but it's like it relies on these characters making sort of flawed decisions or they're not always going to make the right choice and that kind of drives the drama and that's that's what's great i think about a lot of akasaka's writing especially in oshinoko agreed cool um real quick i i know i didn't uh warn you about this or tell you about this at all uh but surprise segment did, did but were you able to read the new chapter of versus i did not get to that that is okay. yeah i mean i've read the last what is this chapter we're on chapter six now or chapter five i think it's five um, yeah, it's kind of bizarre how slow it is. Um, well, we like talked. Not, yeah. not great. I mean, we talked yet. about it. We talked about I want to say chapter four a month or so ago, maybe just briefly. But it it was doing a lot of telling and not a lot of showing. Where it just kind of like spent all of chapter three going through all the different types of people, and chapter four kind of just everyone talking and planning, and there wasn't a whole lot of action or anything. Um, yeah. And, I don't, I, and I'm, it kind of sounds like chapter five is more of that, right? A lot, a lot more telling instead kind of showing. Worse, kind of worse than chapter four. Because Ooh, okay. It just repeats a lot of the things it said in chapter four. But uh, let's let's reconvene on that. I think uh, next week. I want to know what you think on it. Yeah, yeah just, uh, we'll we'll meet back up on that uh, yeah. in in a couple of weeks at some point. Uh, cool. Let's talk about something that has also continually been pretty good to great. Um, Let's talk about Sakamoto Days oh, yeah. by Yuto Suzuki. Um, this is, I was going to say chapter 116, but it is, in, is, it is in fact Days 116 is how it is classified um, 
in the chapter. Uh, this chapter is called Friends. Um, yeah, let's see. I, we I, are that's a great chapter. We're like doing always. the flashback still, which I think we may have been the last time we were talking about it. Um, a flashback with Sakamoto and um, what is the girl's name? Uh, Akane? I don't remember. No. I, Japanese I, names are hard. There's so many names when you read manga like this. Um, I, it, I don't know. It's that the, the, the young assassin's aunt who's apparently dead. In right. Who is, a, who is supposedly dead. We, we have been told she is dead. I'm doubtful. But... Um, I guess we will see in this flashback. Yeah, I mean, surprisingly, the there's less to say about the writing here than our previous three manga, I would say. Why? Because the writing in Sakamoto Days is straightforward, simple, it, anywhere from pretty good to good enough. Uh, it's never really bad. It's pretty it's simple and straightforward. Um, on this one, this bad guy that is fighting Sakamoto thinks that if you have more good karma, you will win the fight. And so he has this funny thing where he thinks that uh, he thinks that Sakamoto is like, oh my gosh, how many good deeds have you done? You're so much stronger than me. Uh, that's that's kind of goofy. Um, and we also get the other the other two assassins here fighting a sort of poison smoke man uh, in in a closed space. That's kind of interesting. They're trying to protect the. Japanese Assassin Association's president's wife and daughter, I believe. Right. Yeah, that's correct. Um, but yeah, poison gas, we get... I mean, this is... so The action paneling here is so good. I just love every panel where Sakamoto is doing anything. Is just like, this is sick. Um, it, it's just... It's also one of those... This, this has a cool moment in this chapter where Sakamoto kind of like okay, I'll stop messing around and take you seriously. And as soon as he does, the bad guy is like, what happened? An explosion? It was just one blow. It's like all of a sudden his vibe changed. What are those? He's like, I'm dead. It's like, this guy is going to kill me instantly. I can tell. I love that. It's Which always is, hype too, right? It's like, so hype. Uh, yeah, because you like, yeah. Sakamoto Days does such a good job of sort of like, un, not, not underselling, but sort of like playing around with how strong Sakamoto is. And then you get these like couple of moments where it's just like, Oh yeah, like it's him. But like it's it's the he's I don't know what's the meme? It's like it's him. I'm him. I don't know. It's it's very much just a sort of like oh yeah, Sakamoto is absolutely you know, power scaling. Sure, let's talk about it again. It feels like an every week segment now. He's absolutely he like one of He's, he's the guy. The guy like he's about, yeah. he's one of if not the strongest people in the entire story, even if he is not sort of always expressing himself like that. Um so yeah, it's always hype to see this. Um, and then he does well, the sickest thing in the world. Like one of the, this is up there, I think with the, uh, the, the fight. Yeah. The fight on the back of the airplane, I think might be my favorite set piece. Uh, but this is maybe my second favorite thing. He takes, uh, there's a family in a sedan about to drive off a broken bridge. He takes three, he takes three fishing poles, like saves the car pulls them all he like exerts himself in this funny panel on the right pulls the car all the way over um and like crashes the car into the bad guy and the bad guy like is like if only i had good more good karma um it's hilarious this is and this is missing the uh was it two weeks ago i guess or last the week before this chapter where he like had a motorcycle and like grabbed the 
the uh, suspension cables of the bridge and like swung across the gap. It's like some real Fast and Furious shit is what Sakamoto's pulling in in these it, it in really these chapters. Is, yeah. In the chapter, like, right before that, someone throws a grenade under their car. He sticks his hand through the bottom of the car, like, through the metal. Yeah, that was, like, three or four chapters ago, yeah. Yeah, that was so fun. Um, I I think one of my favorite running gags in this manga is that the civilians in this world just do not give a shit about, like, assassins or, like, the crazy shit happening around them. It's like, can I get a ride? They're like, yeah, sure. (laughs) It's, yeah, I mean, it's very good handling of of not even side characters like minor i'm trying to think of how, what words to use Char- like characters that exist in your story that are just kind of there for set dressing or to be in sakamoto days it's mostly like oh don't let the innocent civilians die right because you're the good guys need to protect them whatever the ability to take those types of characters and make them uh not not memorable necessarily but make them a joke or memorable in the sense that they aren't just, you know, screaming and running away, or we saved you, go run, but to make them like here, right? This is a gag at the end of the chapter with these people. Um, And there's other panels, I think, where they're about to drive off where they're also kind of a gag. Um, That's just, that's good. That's good writing, in my opinion, to to be able to take something that uh, should be essentially worthless and to turn it into something substantial like a gag in in a series is is good. And Sakamoto is great at it, like you said. It knows exactly what it is, right? Like, it knows that this is goofy and silly and that they're not considering how civilians would react. Like, they break into, like, two assassins that are, like, superhumans break into, like, a ramen shop in their fight on accident. Then they order ramen. They're like, okay, sure. uh, Take me for two or, like, you know, it's like, uh, it's just really fun. It's good. This Uh, is one of the most fun series. We and the anime is coming this year. We got an announcement. Uh, Who knows? It may not be this year, but. Uh, yeah, I, did we get an announcement for this? I think, I think they said it's in production. I don't think we got any other news other than that. I believe it was announced a couple of months ago, beginning of the year maybe, but yeah, I was talking about days is, it feels like there's less to say, but it's just cause it's kind of consistently good and it's simple and effective at exactly what it does, which is these crazy set pieces, these fun action scenes, the kind of jokey there's like just the right amount of drama and stakes to make it, it to make me invest in all these fights uh, and the goofy characters that are in them. Like, I mean, he's essentially fighting like Jojo character stands, right? Like the yeah. guy is like, I can create smoke from, you know, poison smoke from inside my body that doesn't affect me. That has these weird like dots on his eyebrows. Uh, the other guy's like rock steady from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He looks yeah. Like the, the uh, yeah. And then the, yeah, I, the character design's great. Visually, I think Sakamoto Days is one of the strongest currently running manga. I definitely think it's like One Punch Man, Sakamoto Days, and Dan to Dan like, fight every week for me to be like, what was actually the best drawn thing or the best styled thing this week? Um, it's one of those usually, and yeah, it's great. Yeah, I agree. Um, I And I think what you mentioned is like there's not much to say exactly, right? Like I... I me and Bruce watch movies, and when we go to see a movie, we usually spend about like 15 minutes after the movie talking about what we liked, what worked, what we didn't like, uh, what our favorite part, what our least favorite part, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, after Top Gun... I was going to bring up Top Gun, yep. ...stood there for like two minutes, and there was really nothing to say, because it was such a simple movie that worked on every yeah. level for what it was trying to do. And we were just like, okay, yeah, that was that was sick. Planes are cool. See ya. 
Yeah, she was like, "Wow, yeah, plane's cool. Tom Cruise still a good action star, good actor." Yeah, I, yeah, I was good. when you start talking, I was like, "Oh, if he doesn't bring up Top Gun, I'll bring it up again." Because yeah, that's the perfect yeah. example of like, not much to say, and that's a that's a good thing. Um, yeah. No news is good news a lot of times. Yeah, I mean, uh, so again, yeah, Sakamoto Days, great. Not much to say because it's just really good at what it does. These cool set pieces, uh, this cool action, this great action paneling, fun designs, good art, um, nonstop. The pacing of it is great. Like I, I'd have to explore more and think about why the pacing of it is so good, but it's just like perfectly paced. It feels like um, it, I it somehow, really yeah. I a lot of times when I'll catch up on a manga or start reading and catch up to like a live publishing schedule, um, I can really tell the difference between like, oh yeah, when I was reading it, binging it, and then when it's week to week, it's like, uh, it feels like it feels really different. Something about Sakamoto Days, I can't actually remember where I caught up in the story because it's paced so well that it feels like the whole thing has just always flowed so well together. Like I... I caught up, I, like, I seriously don't remember, like, sometime after the plane fight, because I remember it was after that chapter where I was like, I really need to read that, you talked about it on the podcast, and I knew I was going to go through it, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just paced, so it's paced super well, everything about this series works, what a ride. Agreed. And, uh, yeah, if anyone listening hasn't, uh, read Sakamoto Days, it is such a low-stakes read, mm-hmm. so, like, it, it is a popcorn flick. It is like the Fast and the Furious, like Bruce was mentioning. Uh, That's just, probably just the best it. comparison. Yeah, yeah, it's the best comparison with saying that. If I've never seen a Fast and the Furious movie, I think I've seen some of the first or second one a couple of times, and I know that I would not like them because I don't think that they've got the like minimum viable product, story, and characters that I would need in an action movie. That being said, this is. The, especially the later Fast and the Furious things where there's like superhuman shit going on. Like that's what Sakamoto Days is, right? It's like instead of car thieves, they're assassins. There's team up stuff. You know, one guy can read minds. Why? Who Who cares? Yeah. And like just it doesn't explain anything. It doesn't need to. It doesn't over analyze. It just wants to have fun and it does and it's great. So. Yeah. So a uh, big recommendation from both of us, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anything else on Sakamoto Days here? Uh, nope. I'm all good. Cool. Uh, I wanted to real briefly go over um, some of the other stuff that was published. We have a couple minutes here. Um, Kill Blue Chapter 2 came out. We talked about Chapter 1 last week. Um, this is a series by the Kuroko Basket author. Old guy gets stung by a bee, turned into a little 8th uh, grader, ninth grader. Uh, I think a ninth grader, I guess, technically. Um, did you read Chapter 2 of Kill Blue? I did. Do you do you remember better. any of it? Um, kinda. <laughs> I thought it was pretty forgettable. My note here says I do not think this has legs at all. Uh, I liked it better than Chapter One, but I also agree. I don't think it has legs at all. Yeah, it was. I mean, I, I remember that he was like studying, and it's like, oh, studying is fun, learning's fun, scoring high is great. He like makes a friend who like had one of the most forgettable designs I've ever seen in a manga. Yeah, it's, it was pretty generic. I, I did like the friend though. Like I, mm-hmm. I, 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 he was goofy. It, it, there was a contrivance, and of course, like the contrivance of this like asshole in a coffee shop telling them how the real world works because he's an adult, right? And um, it, of course, it felt very contrived. But I did, I don't know why, but I something in my brain enjoyed that section of the chapter, uh, because it was very low stakes, low action. It just felt like an argument with some douchebag in a coffee shop, and I don't know why that 
felt better to me than anything else the first two chapters did. Uh, yeah. Uh, but it did. But either way, I agree. I don't think this Shonen Jump has room for this. I don't think it's doing anything unique or interesting. Yeah, we'll see. Really. I Something that I'll mention in a little bit, I will go over how sometimes the first two or three chapters are not the best, but it picks up enough. I would even say Sakamoto Days, I because we both started reading that when it started being published, and I think I dropped it after two chapters because I was like, eh, I don't know. It's kind of boring. The, the action was so good in that first chapter, it just hit for that reason. Yeah, see, I it didn't it didn't super work for me until like it not even that far in when I was rereading it. And the fact that I could go through, I think it was like chapter four, whenever they had the fight in the supermarket is when I was like, okay, wait, this is actually sick. Um, yeah, but yeah, I'll, I'll mention another series in just a little bit that I think takes a couple of chapters to get going. So it's possible that this, um, this gets going and maybe it takes a little bit of a shot, but, uh, I yeah. Say, I, while I don't think it has legs, I don't think it's anything special. I did find it better than, Pretty much everything but Ginkka and Luna. Uh, from like the last block? Yeah, I mean, this yeah. is better than Ichigoki. This is better than... Uh, it's a low bar though, right? Like, it, that's a very low bar, really yeah. Bad. I yeah. don't know if it's as good as Ayashimon. I thought Ayashimon was okay and had a more interesting kind of setting and yeah, you're right. tone in this, good. but yeah, we'll see. Who knows? Um, the other thing I wanted to mention was Shibatarian. Did you... Chapter 3. Did you ever get I to go and read... read one, but, okay, uh, you need to go read that. Uh, uh, yeah. I think my opinions on this, I want to mention it because it's a super interesting, weird little horror series. Uh, I think I wish chapter one had just been a one shot. If that had been a one shot, that would have been one of my favorite things I'd have read this year. It's keeping going and I don't think it's getting any better by continuing this kind of mysterious story by involving like more killings and stuff. But yeah, so it's falling off a little bit you think this has legs it, to go for a long time or you think it's this doesn't be feel like it's going to be a long series anyway i think this is on jump plus so it could be very limited um this i mean absolutely i would say at the end of chapter one where there was news that hey this is not a one shot i would say i do not think this has legs to go on um and i think it's proving me right it's still interesting and cool i just don't Kind of all the big twists, reveals, and kind of interesting uh, places it could go are all in chapter one. Chapter two and three, it just kind of follows through and keeps going with the, you know, like creepy killings, essentially. Uh, there's kind of nothing new in those chapters, which is, you know, if this hits like six to eight chapters, maybe 12, right? Like one or two volumes long, um, it could be really kind of tightly knit. Uh, but I don't, right now, it's kind of like, I'm just not sure. It just feels like it's treading water in its interesting premise um, and not really doing too much new or interesting with it. So I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any other little things, it. any other little things you wanted to mention of manga that we want to talk about this week? Uh, not that I can think of off the top of my head now. Cool. Um, all right, let's talk about one more thing, a little extra thing we're talking about. I have been reading... Um, oh, I finished, I well, finished caught up on medalist. That series is fantastic. Cannot recommend it enough. Um, an amazing sports story. I cried. I bawled during moments of it. It's very super good. Uh, I've been reading undead on luck, uh, because it surprised me that this held on for as long as it did, because I did not think it's first chapter or two were very strong. Um, like, like I said, I would mention, the first two chapters of this are not 
I do not think are very good. Um, after the first two chapters, it introduces the kinds of things that to me should be introduced in chapter one, right? The first two chapters don't give the main girl character any kind of goal or any kind of, uh, drive to her character. She like, doesn't like, she just doesn't have a goal until like chapter three or four. Um, that, and then there's just like a lot of weird, like a lot of gropey stuff between the guy where he's, cause the more intimate he touches her, the more of her unluck rubs off on him. So that kind right. of doesn't, that doesn't rub me the, the wrong, that rubs me the wrong way. Haha. <laughs> it's a joke. Um, but I will say after they kind of set up, they kind of maybe four or five chapters in, they set up the, like the power system of like undead, unluck, what is it? It's like un, unfeeling or, uh, unchanged is one of the like early kind of enemies. Um, all these powers are sort of like un something. Um, and they know that that's how powers work. And so they have to kind of figure out which power these, the people they're fighting have. They introduce this kind of group of 10 that they're going to try to get into, um, and they do so un unchanged or unchanging is like this girl who looks young but is really old because she's unchanging. Uh, and they fight her. And when when they beat her, this is like chapter seven or six or something maybe. When they beat her, I thought there was some really good writing around it. So I'm like much more invested in the story now that I'm six or seven or eight chapters in uh, than I was in the initial two. So I I definitely do understand more of why this held on because I think its first volume is really good, even though its first two chapters are not that good. Uh, but yeah, but have, have you, did you read a little bit of Undead and Luck or... Uh, yeah, like very little. I got okay. to the part where like she kisses him in a parking garage, and like a lightning bolt strikes, or like a pr- plane crashes, or something like that. Wait, that's chapter. Well, garage. no, that's. I'm sure so chapter th- two. It's one or two. Yeah. It's like I think that's the furthest I got. So, okay. So not yeah. all really. Yeah, it's it's okay so far. I mean, it's kind of like Sakamoto, where it's like yeah, it's a it's an easy read. The art's pretty okay. Um, we'll see how far I can get. I can usually get twenty or thirty chapters before I'm really like, okay, is it is it worth it to keep reading this? Is it not? Um, I'm curious because I do know, I do know later on in the story that time travel enters into it, and I'm like, I fucking love time travel stories. So I, the fact that that's a carrot on a stick dangling for me might. Uh, might make me force myself to just read it until I get to that point because I do really like time travel stuff and there's not enough of it, even though and there's a lot of it. So fans of the series say that segment's cool and also how the powers are used as the series goes are really creative, which yeah. is also like which is the carrot on the stick for me to want to check it out. I would definitely um, say the yeah, so let me know how, how it is. Yeah, the unlock powers have kind of just now kind of gotten more. They got a little creative with it in the last chapter or two. Um, the undead guy has some really creative stuff he does with his powers. He'll like, he'll like cut his hand like almost all the way off, and then he can regrow his hand really fast, and so it shoots the cut off hand out of. And he like does it with his fingers. So he can like shoot his fingertips and shoot his hand off by doing that. Um, he like the last fight he did, he like killed himself repeatedly in order to like throw blood everywhere to like reveal kind of hidden magic arms that this girl had. So there's definitely some creative stuff with, uh, with undead already. So, but yeah, I mean, from what I hear, there's kind of cast expands, more powers, more stuff. So, um, and it, like I said, the first volume, the first eight chapters or so were actually pretty good. Like I, I cannot, you know, the first two chapters were maybe not my, my jam, but, uh, got to give stuff more of a chance I've learned. So, 
Uh, yeah, I, I I agree. I like especially something like this that's been like going on and I, it's I at like 150, driving. 180 chapters something now, like almost three, three and a half years. So yeah, it has its fan base. So clearly there is something that is working that I yeah I just uh haven't kept up with because I didn't like the first few chapters. But uh, I'll have to go check it out. Yeah, awesome. Um, and what have what have you been doing, Gautam? Tell me, brother. I have been wrapping up Elden Ring. Uh, my first. I love FromSoft games, so this is going to be oh, bizarre yeah. to say, but I, I never beat Elden Ring because I, I, when I was younger, I could go through all like the hard bosses and the DLC bosses and all the FromSoft games, but uh, work got busy, and I'm like, I refuse to beat this game until I beat Millennia. Um, I so I did a whole second playthrough after like a year after the game came out, and I beat Millennia, uh, and now I'm in the final gauntlet of bosses. I just beat. Uh, Horalu or Godfrey, and now I'm doing the last two bosses, which is Radagon and Elden Beast. And mm-hmm. uh, regardless of where I am in the game, I gotta say, as you, as you get older, uh, I don't know how old it, the listeners are here, but you kind of lose your spark for like gaming. Uh, I especially long committed. Yeah. I've definitely been the same way. I've noticed, especially the last two or three years, where it's like I cannot just sit down and like marathon a game for a couple of days or weeks with very few exceptions. Elden Ring was yeah. one of them for me. I think Tears of the Kingdom will be one coming up in a month or so here. Or like Dude, two yeah, weeks. I, I agree. Like, uh, I, and I played God of War Ragnarok. Um, and I thought that was a great game, but yeah, same. I don't, I don't ever think about it. Uh, like Elden Ring is magic in a bottle in my eyes. I, I, I think this game has like, I'm almost done with it, and I'm depressed. I'm like, I don't want this to end. It is, it is so fucking good. Uh, so, good job, FromSoft. You recaptured the spark in my heart for gaming. I'm looking. You have to let me know because I think uh, I'm also a pretty big fan of FromSoft. I haven't played all of their games. I think Elden Ring is by far the best game they've ever made. Um, just from, every, I mean, the, it's just the most fun to play and to explore and to be in the game. I, I get that there's a certain appeal to a lot of the FromSoft games of like they're stressful. Well, they're stressful yeah. and they're meant to be stressful and that kind of overcoming that stress is the reward of it. But I found Elden Ring like a lot less stressful and a lot more just fun and I think I liked that. So it, it, There's so much accessibility options. Yeah, it's for like sure. The, the environments are not just bleak and depressing everywhere like other FromSoft games, mm-hmm. especially Bloodborne, which is just oppressively bleak. You know, I mean, everything in Bloodborne is black, gray, brown, fire like everything is black subject matter the theme and there's no happiness in that game but i loved it for that reason i i also love the gothic aesthetic and all that shit but it uh, definitely is cool yeah elden ring has positivity and it's like fun to play sorry go ahead no i was just gonna say the the big thing about bloodborne that like (laughs) that is funny is i remember like starting the game you're in the like regular hunter's gear you like oh i got like different upgraded and you equip it and it's like i'm wearing the same black trench coat for like half or more of the costumes in in bloodborne um yeah elden ring is much more colorful much more designed uh in that way but i agree i think bloodborne's lore is more interesting uh, is maybe not more interesting but is is my favorite just because it's like it is my favorite game yeah yeah the it's just awesome the game is eight years old so we're just gonna i'll, I'll spoil it the sort of twist of oh it's a victorian vampire and werewolf kind of from soft game into the twist of no this is eldritch gods is yeah. i love that that's so cool and the way it's the way it's shown very slowly and not told is very cool 
Um, the best Lovecraft game ever made, and for uh, sure, most, most people won't know it's a Lovecraft game because it's a twist, you know. Uh, right, and it wasn't. I mean, advertised like that at all. Uh, Elden Ring has a little bit of that, but it's a lot less of a twist and more of just kind of like, yeah, there's a lot of El- uh, what are they called? Outer gods. Um, there's like a lot of outer gods, and all the interesting magic stuff you see is like part of their power, and they're all here. Yeah, so you're right. This is a lo- this one's a Lovecraft game too. Just a different, like, a different kind. Bloodborne feels, like, very much oppressive, normal Lovecraft. Yeah. Like either, like yeah, Bloodborne is, is Lovecraft, like, cosmic horror. Elden Ring is more just, like, cosmic fantasy or something like that. Yeah. A I, little I bit less horror. Yeah, there is still it. cosmic horror in Elden Ring, for sure. I mean, uh, like, a, like, Estelle is a pretty kind of terrifying idea uh, in those sorts of things, but... Less kind of yeah. oppressively scary, like you were talking about. But yeah, uh, you'll have to let me know how you feel about it at the very end. Um, we were talking about the best bosses and saying how all the best bosses are actually at the end of the game, which is which is cool. Much, yeah. So I like that. Uh, yeah, either way, it has me excited to do Zelda now. Uh, so mm-hmm. thank you, FromSoft, for selling me a copy of Zelda as well. <laughs> Sounds good. Cool. Anything else on Elden Ring? Uh, nope. That's about it. Let's do it then. Thank you, everyone, for listening or watching. Um, don't forget to check out our two YouTube channels, uh, the White, Gray, Black, for my more condensed curated manga content. Um, and if you want to check the VODs of this podcast, they are on the WGB Weekly Manga Podcast channel. You can search either of those on YouTube, and they should be at the top. Um, if you want to listen to us as a true podcast, we are on all the major podcast providers. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. You can download us through RSS. Um, and if you enjoy this podcast and you want to support us, first of all, go to the YouTube channels. Give us a give us a like and a subscribe there. Follow or subscribe to us on whatever podcast distributors. That is sort of the easiest, best way that you can support us. Uh, we don't really care for your money yet. If you want to give us money, you certainly can head over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash WGBmanga. But really, just we just want more people to listen and hear and enjoy uh, and be a part of our of our manga book club and our manga conversation. So go over there, give us a like, give us a subscribe, uh, give us some comments. Tell us about how you feel. Do you think uh, do you think our critiques were fair for the first hour of this podcast, or uh, maybe you think we praise Sakamoto Days and Oshinoko too much? Maybe there's maybe you should be tearing into them also. Uh, but anyways, if you want to, you can check me out on the Twitter at WGB Manga. If you want to suggest something or have any of those conversations, I'm happy to have those on Twitter. Uh, as always, thank you so much for being with us this week. See you later. Please come back next week, and don't forget to read more manga.